This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Today, there was some good news in the COVID-19 numbers, 103 new cases in Ontario and no deaths, but it comes after or in the midst of a spike, which appears to be connected to the reopening of the economy and marked by young people making up most of the cases. This is something we are seeing around the world. Meantime, the fall is approaching with the specter of a second wave. Let me give out the numbers if you've got questions. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, we go to Dr. Andrew Morris, infectious diseases specialist at Sinai Health System and the University Health Network, and Dr. Gerald Evans, chair of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Kingston General Hospital. Thanks and welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. So, you know, every time it looks like uh, we are getting past this, then then we end up, oh, oops, you know, there's a day with a, a lot more new cases. Just this week, we had one big day over 200. What do you make of this, Dr. Morris? Well, I think this is expected, right? We, this uh, virus isn't going away anytime soon. We have lots of people who are um, at risk for being infected. And the more we have uh, people interacting with others, the more likely we're going to have more cases popping up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Evans? Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with uh, what my, uh, my colleague is saying. Uh, the the is- issue with the young people uh, interest me, though, is that, you know, at in the, your young age, between about ages 18 to 35, that's when you're socializing the most. And we know that the lockdown and the, the uh, social distancing measures that have been put into place for the last few months have really impacted that group significantly. On the other hand, they're also a group where uh, fear uh, can disappear very quickly and fear of the virus getting infected and or the consequences of it um, may be affecting them so much that they're not really continuing to do what they should do, which is to employ measures that are going to prevent transmission of infection. And and that's a, a, a bad mix with what uh, Dr. Morris was just saying, that we've got the virus still circulating in the community. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, frankly, probably everybody in every age group has relaxed a bit, and it, it comes amid, you know, there's new information all the time. Um, I and most people I know, we were licensed Lysoling the groceries, and you know, we found out that's not necessary. But it does seem to be a bit of a moving target. Yeah, absolutely. The um, uh, but I would say, you know, that there are sort of certainly stages in your life where social distancing is less challenging. Uh, and I think uh, <laughs> perhaps I represent that demographic as an older person. Uh, but young people really do socialize a lot, and, and they're. Uh, desire to you know go back to that kind of socialization is really I think one of the one of the main drivers that's uh, happening with that particular group as we see you know fifty percent or more of the uh, people being reported positive now in the last uh, week or so have been uh, young people. 
Uh, so what's what's the upshot? Is 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 that um, how dangerous is that in terms of having a spike in deaths, having a, you know a bad situation in the hospitals? Well, go, go ahead. Sorry, I, I, I think what what happens is you know, and we, we've seen this repeatedly already in other jurisdictions. Is uh, young people are the early ones who uh, start getting infected. We don't recognize it too well in them because many of them uh, have few, if any, symptoms. And then eventually it, we see more and more cases and it, and it will reach older adults or more vulnerable people. And that's when we recognize it. So uh, cases, people infected um, is ahead of people getting sick in substantial numbers, which is ahead of people being hospitalized, which is ahead of people dying. So there's a really long lag period. And we saw that in many of the states in the U.S., especially in the south and western U.S., where it took weeks and weeks before um, government took action because there was such a lag time between uh, what we're now seeing, which are a, a substantial rise in death, and what we saw weeks ago, which was the economy opening up and especially young people getting infected. So what are you expecting here? Um, much the same. Hopefully, it'll be under control a bit, a bit more. And uh, I think for a few reasons, we, we don't have the political polarization that they have in the U.S. And I think our real hope is that we're able to uh, contain clusters like uh, Dr. Evans is in Kingston, and they had a substantial cluster, not really just young people, but it was a known uh, outbreak. And it was fairly rapidly and well-contained, and I think that's what we're hoping we'll see throughout the country. So, Dr. Evans, what kind of a time lag would you expect? Are we going to start seeing this next week, the week after? And uh, is there a chance that it's all going to coincide with the fall flu? Well, it really depends on what Dr. Morris was just saying, which is, is this going to be a sustained increase in cases? And, and that's what we've seen in the States. If there is a sustained increase in numbers or you know, this uh, plateauing of numbers in young people, then he's absolutely right. Uh, we see the downstream signal uh, about two weeks later because we know the incubation period of this infection is about five to seven days. Uh, most people, if they're going to become symptomatic, do so in 14 days. And then subsequently, we know that once you're sick, about 14 days later is when you see those very bad signals of hospitalization, ICU stay, and death. So, uh, again, I, I think he really underscored an important thing when politicians and policymakers are looking at this disease, they need to look at upstream signals like increases in cases, not what we call downstream signals, which is deaths and hospitalizations, because by the time you get there, you're in trouble. So right now, if there is a sustained increase, then I would suspect uh, and say that we can pretty well conclusively uh, see that effect in the general population popping out in about two or three weeks. And uh, what about um, the possibility of, of, a, of a second wave? We're not done with the first one. Well, second waves, um, it is interesting because, uh, I mean, as a, a, a guy who basically did a lot of things with influenza and pandemics, we know that influenza is typically characterized by second waves. We believe that is going to be the case with a coronavirus, even though it's a different virus. And a lot of that depends on the percent of people after the first wave that remains susceptible in the population. And it depends on how much we continue social distancing measures until we have other effective strategies uh, to control it, like a vaccine, etc. So right now, I would say there's a fair bit of good modeling data and evidence to suggest there is going to be uh, subsequent waves of this infection. 
Some of them may be seasonally based. They may be more prominent in the winter. That There's some, some suggestion that that's a possibility. Uh, and I think it's important for people to understand in the States, really what they're seeing is just a continued and ongoing resurgence of their first wave. So they haven't even gotten out of it yet to get the second wave. But I would say here in Canada, certainly in some jurisdictions, certainly where I live here in Ontario, you know, our case numbers have fallen significantly that any further subsequent rise other than the outbreak, which Dr. Morris made reference to, is going to represent a second wave. Uh, Dr. Morris, a lot of people are saying a mistake to open bars. Do you agree? Like, should some of the things that are reopening be uh, reclosed? Um, I'm going to say yes and no. You know, I'm I'm not a big fan of the the bars opening, particular with the uh, restrictions they have. You know, we have, first of all, I'm, I'm not so sure about second waves, whether second waves are a feature of viruses or if they're a feature of society. And I think historically what happens is, uh, like, you know, in 1917-18, you know, the, the globe deals with a, a, a huge wave. They're fed up. They open things up because people can only tolerate this so long. And then we see a whole second wave occur because we just can't be shut down for a year at a time. And I think that's what we're probably, uh, you know, what other jurisdictions see as well. And, and you know, we're, tr- we're trying to figure out how to do this and do it safely and figure out what matters the most to us. I think what many of, why many of us aren't fans of bars opening is because we haven't really yet figured out how to safely open the society in general. And it's probably not highest on our priority list in terms of trying to figure out what's a safe reopening when we're really, in some ways, weeks away from uh, trying to get kids back in school, which doesn't only mean kids back in school, but it also means their parents back being able to pay attention to their work. Uh, Yeah, Dr. Evans, I mean, one of the things you keep hearing is, you know, why did we open bars before we figured out how to get kids back to school? Is How will that complicate things? Uh, I think for much of the same reasons Dr. Morris has laid out. I mean, I I certainly have been very much uh, concerned about the opening of bars. It's it's too easy a place to see transmission occurring. It's indoors. uh, It's associated with the use of alcohol, which tends to drop people's um, rational, uh, uh, um, adhering to um, kinds of social distancing measures, wearing masks. Can't wear a mask if you're drinking and if you're in a restaurant when you're eating. Uh, and so all of those things pose substantial risk. And, and I agree. I think we should be devoting our time and our energy. And I would say where we should really be going is getting onto the issue of schools. Schools are going to be complex and complicated in terms of what we develop. Um, and that's chiefly because we need to, I think, put safety uh, uh, first and foremost, but recognizing that it's important to get children back to school uh, for the reasons that Dr. Morris was talking about. It's good for the kids, and of course, it'll be good for their parents who can then, um, you know, have the opportunity to return to work, which has really been, va- you know, gra- very greatly affected by the social distancing measures and the closures of schools and daycare centers. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Andrew Morris and Dr. Gerald Evans. Appreciate your time very much. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.